We now bring you the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast, featuring the late Dr. Harold B. Seitler, founding pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church and Ministries in Greenville, South Carolina. And now, today's edition of the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. With your Bible open to Hebrews chapter number 11, please, I'd like for you to note verse number 23 and follow it. Hebrews 11, verse number 23. Now, I want to speak to you today on the reproach of Christ. The reproach of Christ. I find my subject in verse number 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Now, you may may not understand exactly what I mean by the subject. After I get into the message, I think you will. The reproach of Christ. Now, nowadays, we we have a tendency, some people at least, have a tendency to remove any offensive thing from the gospel. Uh, we, We have a trend that would make the Lord Jesus desirable. And this is an impossible thing, but make the Lord Jesus desirable to everybody in the world. We want a religion these days without the offense of the cross. We want a religion these days without the reproach of Christ. We want a religion these days without the fact of persecution and the reality of tribulation. We want everybody to speak well of the Savior. And so the the world is busy complimenting Christ, complimenting the religion of the Lord Jesus. When that isn't the case of the Bible at all, Every personality in the Bible that ever knew God, Old Testament and the New Testament as well, knew the reality of the reproach of Christ, the offensiveness of the gospel. Now, I don't mean by that that the Lord Jesus is not all that he claims to be, but I mean that man is so totally depraved and so wicked inwardly until he hates God and he hates old-time religion He despises the Bible, and he despises the Lord Jesus. Oh, but preacher, you're wrong in that opinion. Certainly the world is not guilty as you now charge. My friend, the world is guilty as I now charge, has been guilty as I now charge, and will continue to be guilty as I now charge. The grace of God has never had an open arm to the world, and the world has never had an open arm to the grace of God. Jesus has always been an offense. The Bible speaks of the offense of the cross. The Bible speaks of the foolishness of preaching. The foolishness of preaching. And to the worldly wise, that which I now attempt to do is a foolish thing. And then uh, the one about whom I attempt to speak is a foolish personality as far as the world is concerned. Now if I was politicking for the Senate, or for the, uh, 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 some political office, nobody would become offended at that. That's a normal thing. But I'm not politicking for an office. I'm preaching the cross. And the world has never been friendly to that. The world doesn't understand that. The demands of the cross are so strenuous until the world despises me for holding the standard high. The holiness of the Savior is so perfect until the world hates me and you because of the standard of holiness that the Lord Jesus set before us, you see. And on down the line. Uh, you take the matter of baptism, for example. There are multitudes of people in the land that will never join a local Baptist church for that one reason. 
They say, I'm just not going to be baptized. It's not necessary that I be baptized. I don't like the mode of baptism. I'll be sprinkled, but I'll not go into the water with a Baptist preacher. I'll not let him put beneath that water. And down to the years, the thousands of people that be a Baptist were it not for the offense of the baptismal waters. But I want to say to you that if you ever become a Baptist, that's how you become a Baptist. And that is by, by being immersed in water. You don't get sprinkled in a Baptist church. And you don't get poured in a Baptist church. If you get into a Baptist church, you're baptized by immersion and gotten into a local Baptist congregation. Now, I recognize that baptism has an offense. The preaching of the cross has an offense about it. And that's what I mean when I talk about the reproach of Christ. Now, let's see what happens about Moses and why Moses came uh, to the conviction set forth in verse number 26. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child and they were not afraid, they were not afraid of the king's commandments. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Forty years old he was at this particular point. Choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God who were then in the bondage of Egypt than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest uh, he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry ground, which the Egyptians desiring to do were all drowned. Now the text again, verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasure in the land of Egypt. Now had Moses continued in the house of Pharaoh as the foster son of Pharaoh's daughter, he probably would have been in line for the throne of Egypt. Probably would have been a Pharaoh in his own age, in his own day, had he stayed in the house of Pharaoh's daughter. But God moved upon the heart of Moses, and when he was 40 years old, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. From the time that he was an infant, up until he's 40 years old, he lived in the palace. He had, out, had all the advantage of a king. He ate at the king's table, slept in the king's bed, and abode in the king's house. And he was looked upon as a son of Pharaoh. Not literally, but he was indeed a foster son of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But God moved upon his soul at the age of 40, and Moses came to recognize the, uh, the design and the purpose of his life. And he came to a point of decision. It was a great decision. No doubt he wrestled with it, maybe for weeks. But God gave him grace to make the right answer in this moment of decision. And he came to the point in his life when he said, I shall no longer be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm going to take my place with my people. They're in bondage. They're slaves to the Pharaoh. I'm not an Egyptian. I am also an Israelite. And I'll not live in the king's palace while my people are under the bondage of the lash of Pharaoh. And so with that deep, pungent conviction, Moses took his stand and announced to Pharaoh's daughter that no longer am I your foster son. I imagine Pharaoh's daughter might have cried and wept 
and begged and lamented. She might have said, surely Moses, you don't understand what you're doing. You're forfeiting the throne of Egypt. You're going to give up all the riches of all the treasures in the land of Egypt. You don't know what you're doing. You're leaving the palace and identifying yourself with the people that have nothing. Surely you need to give this second thought. And I imagine Moses said, I've given it much thought. My mind is clear. My convictions are steadfast. I no longer am called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm going to take my place with my people. At any cost, all the treasures in Egypt is not powerful enough or great enough to cause me to continue as is. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater than all the treasures in the land of Egypt. Now, it takes real courage, no doubt, to make that decision. Don't you imagine the devil might have wrestled with Moses and, and uh, threatened Moses and intimidated Moses? Don't you imagine the devil said, well, Moses, you'll starve to death? Why, you've been used to a sumptuous supply all the years, 40 years of your life. You've eaten at Pharaoh's table and slept in his beds. Why, you, you won't be able to adjust uh, to the fear of these slaves. Why, you're making a sad mistake. Overlook those slaves and be loyal to Pharaoh and to Pharaoh's daughter. But God had moved. And Moses said, I'd rather have my identity with God's people than to come into the airship of all the treasures in the land of Egypt. And brother, I'd remind you back in that ancient day, those Pharaohs rode in gold chariots. I've seen the chariots with my own eyes. Those Pharaohs slept in gold beds. I've seen the beds. Those Pharaohs ate with golden uh, utensils. I've seen their spoons and their forks made of gold, not of uh, silver or brass as you use. And I recognize something of the, uh, of the wealth that Moses forfeited when he took his stand with the people of God. But he esteemed it be better to suffer the reproach of Christ than to have all the treasures in the land of Egypt. Now I want to say to you that it's better not only for Moses, but for me and you. There isn't anything in the world greater than to take your stand for the Lord and count everything but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. There isn't enough wealth in all the world to take the place of what I've got in my soul by grace. And I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. And I'd rather take my stand with God's people and God's church and God's Bible than to stand with the potentates and the kings and the monarchs of all the ages, you see. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures of America or the treasures of the world in your day and mine. I'd rather take my stand with the Lord. And by the grace of God, I've stood these years and I plan to finish my journey. Standing by the ancient landmarks which my fathers have set. Now I want to point out some ways in which there is a real reproach in Christ that you and I must endure. And if you haven't got what it takes to endure that, you might as well throw the towel in today and call it off because you'll not persevere. You won't make it. It takes some determination. It takes some grace and grit. It takes some courage. It takes some inward grace that only God can supply. Don't you imagine when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced that fiery furnace? And when Nebuchadnezzar said, you boys can go free if you'll just bow down to my image and worship 
that image. We'll forget about the whole thing. You fellas can go ahead if you'll just bow down. There'll be no penalty. I'll forget the whole, whole episode. I, I don't think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to have a debate as to what they were going to do. I think their minds were already persuaded. They were already convinced. And though they face the fire furnace, they're not going to bow down to a golden image. They'd rather burn in that fiery furnace than to live another day to worship a golden image of a pagan god that didn't exist. Took some grace and courage. A price had to be paid. Don't you think there's a certain price that you and I must pay in our day if we remain loyal to the cross and loyal to our profession and loyal to our Savior? Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego paid the price, just as Daniel paid the price, just as Moses paid the price, just as uh, Paul paid the price, John the Baptist paid the price, so you and I have a price to pay if we remain faithful. There is a reproach in Christ. Old-time religion is not popular. Now, religion is popular, but old-time religion is not. Religion is popular, but the cross is not. I, I get a little bit upset with the trend of the so-called Christian world in our day. I, I, over the radio, sometimes hear a Christian song, and it's got this modern beat to it. Why in the world can't they sing the old rugged cross as we sang a while ago? Why would you have to change the songs to fit this long-haired generation in which we live? I, I, think there's, I think the old rugged cross is all right. I find nothing wrong with the song. And I resent trying to streamline and modernize the singing of Baptist churches to fit the wine and fancies of the hippies and yippies in our day. No, why not bear the reproach of old? You know, that's the whole point. They don't want any offense. And they want to fix it as near like the world, dress like the world, sing like the world, act like the world, fix it just as near like the world as they can. They don't want to bear any reproach of the cross. But my soul, I, I've never known a man that I thought was genuine and real who wasn't different from the world. Can you think of one? When I find a man compromising and conforming to the world, I put a great question mark in my mind as to whether that man is really a born-again man or not. The men I've known and the women that I've known in my life and the young people I've known in my life that I had confidence in were like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't bow, burn, nor budge. They stood. And have it at all, they stood. You can keep all the persecution you may. From sunrise to sunset. You can intimidate and threaten all you may. But they're going to stand for God. God give us people like that. That will take their stand with the cross. And die rather than compromise. Die rather than give in. The reproach of the cross. Now, I'd remind you, first of all, that the reproach of, cross, of the cross involves the uniqueness of Christ. The reproach of the cross involves the uniqueness of Christ. My Lord is different. Any angle you look at him, he's different. The world will classify him with all religious leaders that have gone before. But in my soul, 
He stands out and above all the others unique in every fashion. The world won't take that. He's unique in that he was foreordained from the foundation of the world. He's unique in that he was born of a virgin without a human father. He was unique in that he lived a sinless and spotless life for 33 years upon this earth, not one time bowing to any temptation the devil brought against him. He was unique in that he died victoriously upon a glory Calvary's cross. He was unique in that on the third day he walked out of the grave and shook the keys of death and hell in the face of the devil and said, I am he that was alive and was dead and am alive forevermore. He's unique in that 40 days later he went to heaven and sat out at God's right hand. And he's unique in that someday he's coming back to this earth in power and great glory. Now the world don't like that. They won't accept that. They want a Jesus they can manhandle. They want a Jesus they can persuade. They want a Jesus they can channel. But I want you to know that the Jesus mean you serve, the Christ of God is a mighty, conquering, king of kings and lord of lords he is. And he's unique. And the fact that he's unique in all these avenues brings about the reproach of Christ. He's not like the others. He's the one and only potentate and mighty God, the everlasting father, prince of peace he is. And there's none like him. He's the only one. Now, the world don't like that. When I preach that, the other religions of the world chaffed. When I preach that, the other peoples of the world get angry and upset. When I preach that, the liberals and the modernists heap persecution upon me. When I teach that, the hippies and the hippies that want a human Jesus get angry and rebellious toward me and intimidate me and slander me and curse me and talk about me. You can say what you may about the old preacher. It doesn't amount to raw pins to me. I believe that Jesus Christ is the virgin-born Son of God. If that's treason, you make the most of it. The uniqueness of Christ involves uh, the reproach of Christ. Then I want you to note the second thing. The reproach of Christ involves the total depravity of man. The only religion I know of in the world. And I'm speaking now humanly, on a human level, about human religions. The only religion in the world, I say, that teaches total depravity is the religion of Jesus Christ. And the natural man doesn't like that. When I say to a congregation of people that there's none good, no, not one, folk don't like that. Some people don't like that. When I say to a congregation of people, all of your righteousnesses are as filthy rags, folk get offended at that. When I say that without God, you're going to hell, folk don't like that. They say, I've got religion, and my religion is as good as yours. No, my friend, no. Man without God is totally depraved and going to heaven and there's, going to hell and there's no hope for him. He's not partly lost, he's altogether lost. The Bible teaches total depravity. There's not one good spark in you. You're not, you're not, you have no divine spark. I one time heard a young man say that he believed that everybody has a divine spark within him and if you'll fan that spark, it'll blaze up and burst out uh, to conform to, to God's image. No, no, 
The natural man has no part of God in him. Not even a divine spark does he have within him. He's totally depraved. He's totally lost. He's not in any condition to go to heaven. And he's going to hell except something happened to him that we call grace and redemption. Total depravity. Now that brings the reproach of Christ. Preacher, you mean, yes, I mean that. That without Christ, you're lost without God. And there's no hope apart from the Savior. There is no hope for a single one of us within this building. Not a one. My hope is built upon nothing less than Jesus' name and his righteousness. Now when I preach that, the wealth is say, how about my money? I can buy anything I desire, maybe in Greenville, but not in heaven. Yes, sir. And then when I preach that, the educator said, how about my education? I have great knowledge, great learning. It's no good as far as the redemption of your soul is concerned. You'll go to hell until you come to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Well, how about my personality? I'm a great personality in politics or society. Forget it. Perish with your personality. It matters not how much dynamic personality you may possess. You'll go to hell until you're born of God's spirit. I'm talking about the reproach of Christ. It involves the total depravity of man. Man needs a redeemer. Every man needs a redeemer. Not some men. Every man needs a redeemer. Every man needs Jesus as Lord. That's the reproach of Christ. Then number three. The reproach of Christ involves the authority of the Bible. The authority of the Bible. Now, you and I, uh, we're the average person in this building, I wouldn't say it would be highly educated, but the average person in this building is educated. Most of you have a, a maybe above the average uh, education. And you've dealt with many books down through the years. You've studied many books. You've read many books down through the years. But you are a one-book man. One book. And the only book you have any confidence in and put any stock in is this old-fashioned Bible. I believe this is the book. I don't put any stock in commentaries except they par with the Bible. I don't put any stock in commentators except they get their message from the Bible. As far as I'm concerned, this is it. The Bible is the final authority in all matters of faith and morals. What does the Bible say? I don't put any stock in fashions. I don't put any stock in trends. I don't put any stock in what anybody else does. If everybody does it, that doesn't make it right. Somebody said 67% of the American people are drinkers of beer, wine, and whiskey. 67%. That doesn't make it right. That's the majority, but that doesn't make it right. And I guess about 50% of the American people curse and profane and use God's name in vain, but that doesn't make it right. And on down the line. Now, as far as I'm concerned, the only authority that I recognize is the authority of the Bible. This is where I get my standard of conduct. Here is where I get my code of ethics. Uh, here is where I get my doctrine of faith from the Bible. I don't get any doctrine from what somebody said they saw. 
Man brought the tent to Greenville the other day and put an ad in our Greenville paper and he said that, uh, that God appeared to him and showed him some things and told him some things. I don't believe a word of that. I got a, letter, got a paper the other day on my desk and one preacher said, God gave me a hot paper. I don't know whether it was just oven hot or red hot, but he said, God gave me a hot paper and if you'll write to me, I'll send you a piece of this paper and you can put it on your body and you'll be healed. How silly, how crazy some people can be. I don't believe a word of that. And you haven't got good judgment if you do. Here's the only thing that I'm, I'm taking. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Now when I say, what does the Bible say? Folk drop their uh, feathers and they say, oh yes, one of these fundamentalists. And that's when the reproach of Christ begins to be heaped upon you because of the authority of the Bible. Now my soul at Tabernacle we don't get orders from any other source. We, we let no organization set standards. No. Uh, nobody, nobody on the outside has told the pastor and the deacons of Tabernacle Baptist Church how the standards ought to be set at Tabernacle and how the preacher ought to preach and, and what he ought to preach and what he ought not to preach. Nobody has told. We would resent that. We would not obey that. The only standard we have, God wrote down in his book. And we come to accept an authoritative Bible. And preaching an authoritative Bible means that we suffer the reproach of Christ. But let it be so. We can't help it. We'll not try to help it. We'll not try to evade it. The reproach of Christ involves an authoritative Bible. The Bible is our standard, the tabernacle. The Bible teaches blood atonement, we proclaim it. The Bible teaches the fullness of God's spirit, we experience it. The Bible teaches to be separate and clean and holy, we practice that. The Bible says go into all of the world and tell the story, we do that. The Bible says be separate from the world, we separate ourselves from the world. The Bible says we're to be different in dress, in conduct, and we try to be different. We have an authoritative Bible. Oh, but preacher, you could, you could get along far better in Greenville if you wouldn't be so tight-laced, you're too fanatical. You, you, you draw the lines too tight, and your lines are too straight, and your standards are too high. Well, let me admit that they are, but they are the standards nonetheless. And I wouldn't say that all of us have apprehended or reached all the standards, but every one of us are reaching out to reach them, aren't we? And we believe them. I wouldn't say I've apprehended, but at least I'm reaching forward that I may apprehend. And we're going to hold the standard as high as the Bible commands us to. Just hold to it. Now that brings the reproach of Christ, the authoritative Bible. Then number four, the reproach of Christ involves the fashion of Christian life and Christian conduct. Now when you become separate and clean and different, I mean, you talk different, uh, you act different, you have a different attitude toward people, uh, you dress different, uh, you indulge in different things from the world, you go to different places from the world. Last night, as I drove in from my meeting, I noticed out of the way to Ham Hampton Boulevard, all the nightclubs were filled and their parking lots were crowded. I have never been in one of those. I have never been in a nightclub in my life. Do I need to say that again? I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not saying that I'm better than you are. I'm just simply saying that's against my 
code of conduct. And the same people don't go to nightclubs on Saturday night. Now, when I say that, there's a lot of people uh, get up and turn the radio off. This message is going out by radio. They say, I don't want to listen to that fanatic. That's that crazy man down at Tabernacle. You can say what you want to. I still believe saved people don't go to nightclubs on Saturday night. Amen. And that's our standard. If we had one Sunday school teacher in one nightclub in Greenville County last night, I'd get the superintendent together. That Sunday school teacher would have to give the class up. If I knew it and knew it positively, I, that person had to give up that class. Well, if I can go to another, all right, sure, you can go to another. But I'm talking about tabernacle. I'm talking about the reports of Christ in the tabernacle. You'd have to give the class up. If we had one deacon or one usher in one nightclub last night in Greenwood County, they'd have to resign if I knew it. Amen. I'm not going to put up with that. Don't believe it's right. Don't believe deacons ought to do it. Don't believe ushers ought to do it. Don't believe Sunday school teachers ought to do it. If I had one singer that did it, they'd never stand on this platform again to sing. Amen. Now that brings, that's not popular preaching these days. But you know, that's the only kind of preaching I've ever done all my life. I started out with that kind 34 years ago. You say, well, now, Brother Harold, this is a different day. That's right, but it's the same old-time gospel. I'm not, a, I'm not about to change my convictions one bit in the world. I'm not about to change them. Well, we'll get us a new preacher. When I lie silent in my grave, you'll get another preacher. And if you get a dry hide, I hope you'll, I hope you'll live to be sorry for it if you do. You get somebody that'll preach the gospel and hold the standards high. Now that brings the approach of Christ. It isn't popular, but we have no choice about it. I think men ought to dress right and women ought to dress right. Amen. I, I get hung up on that every once in a while. Some people wished I wouldn't. Maybe I get hung up too much, but I, I, I have convictions along that line. We have 25 teachers in our day school. And uh, not a one of those teachers wear miniskirts. If one came to school with miniskirts on, they'd leave. Not a one come to this place with pants on, pa uh, ladies' uh, pantsuits on. They don't come to work that way. They don't wear them that way out from this place either. Not if we know it. And if they do, they may as well begin to look for a job so we find it out they're finished. That's straight. But brethren, I've always stood there. You think I'm going to bow and tickle ears now that I've gotten a little older and that I live in 1973? I'm not about to. No. no. That brings the reproach of Christ. And there's a lot of people in Greenville who say, I'd love to go to Tabernacle, but they're so tight and so tight-laced and they're so strict. But I'm glad you found it out. Now you just go somewhere else. We'll get along all right without your help. You're not going to be much help anyway if you live that, that kind of life. All right. Then number five. The reproach of Christ involve, involves loyalty of church relationship. When a man becomes born of God's spirit and really gets on fire for the God as old Moses was when he made this great decision, the one thing in his church that will take proper place in preeminence over everything else is the local church. Uh, nothing is more important, not even your business. 
Not even your work. Not even your family. A wife sometimes will chaffed under that. They say, Brother Harold demands so much of my husband. And so on down the line. He, uh, uh, some women don't like it because I believe a man ought to put the church first. And sometimes we have preachers come to our Bible Institute and the wives say uh, they make too much demands on the preacher's wives and I don't like it. Well, that's the reproach of Christ and we'll endure that. As far as I'm concerned, the church is first. And loyalty to the church is the most important thing in your life. I mean to the local assembly. And to the gospel the local assembly propagates is the most important thing you'll ever face in your lifetime. Those 24 children of ours who are scattered around the world on mission fields get their food out of your pockets from your tithe money every week you live, a month you live. I'd rather die than be disloyal to one of those. God help us to stand by them faithfully. God help us to recruit others to fill places when there are vacancies on the mission field. God help us to be faithful in our Sunday school loyalty, in our preaching service loyalty, in our prayer meeting loyalty, in our giving tithing loyalty. Now when you put the church first, that means the Masons are not. When you put the church first, that means the parent teachers meeting is not. When you put the church first, that means the bowling team is not. When you put the church first, that means the, uh, the shenanigan in the community comes second. When you have a revival at the church, that means everything else is second. And if there's any conflict, my mind's already made up. The church is going to get the benefit. If I've got to make up my mind as to whether I'm going to the PTA or go to church, I, uh, my mind's already made up. I'm going to church. That's the kind of loyalty I'm talking about. They're having a Mason meeting on Tuesday night. Got to make up my mind. Having a revival, the Mason would have to wait. They ought to wait a long time. But they'll certainly have to wait then. I'm going to church, you see. My church is first. If I have company come on Sunday night, I say, now, brother, you, you're welcome. Just sit right here and make yourself at home. I'll be back in two and a half hours. Good night. Preach, you wouldn't do that, would you? You just try me out. I'd do that as sure as I preach to you. My dad, much as I love him, if he would have come to my house tonight, he could sit till I get back. I'll be at church. I'm alive. And you ought to have the same convictions. Same convictions. Now that brings the reproach of Christ. Not many people want that kind of loyalty. They want to go to church when there's a wedding or a funeral. They want to give a dollar when they have it. But you get born again, you bring your tithe money in. When you put the church first, you bring your tithe money in. And that's certainly not popular when you put the tithe in. The reproach of Christ involves loyalty to the local church. And then again, the reproach of Christ involves the zeal of Christian witness. And here's a point where you'll offend a lot of people when you stand up for God. I've actually felt, I couldn't prove what I'm about to say, but I've actually felt that I've had people pull up behind my automobile as I've driven the highway. And because I have a Jesus saves sign on the back of my car, just two words, Jesus saves. They have impatiently and recklessly passed me just to get away from that witness. Now, I couldn't prove that, but I sincerely believe that's happened. I couldn't explain, I couldn't explain the action of some drivers any other way. 
Pull up behind my car, and there's the witness, Jesus says. And they watch that for two or three minutes, and they begin to watch that yellow line. When can I get around that fanatic? I don't want to see that sign anymore. And they'll take a chance to get around and get away from that witness. And you stand up on the job for God. I was told one day this week that a, a, that a sister to one of our members witnessed to a young girl in a certain place in our city. Just witnessed her on the job. And that young girl slapped her in the face. And the woman that did the witnessing uh, was uh, at least 50 or 55 years old. An older woman. And that young woman slapped her in the face. And the only crime she had done is to witness for the Savior. That's the reproach of Christ. There's a young man in this congregation right now. That witnessed to a man in Spartanburg on the street. He was giving out tracts and witnessing to people on the street. And he gave a tract and a witness to a man. And the man... Balled his fist up and hit him. For no reason at all. Except he bore witness to the Savior. The reproach of Christ is involved in the zeal of Christian witnessing. And when you stand up for God and give a witness on the job. And in the store and in the office and on the plant. In the plant. Uh, you're not going to be the most popular person around. You want me to tell you why some people in Greenville despise Bob Jones University? It's right at that point. That one thing. Those students and those teachers witness. You know why some people in Greenville despise Tabernacle? It's right at that one point. You folk witness. You tell people what you believe and what the Lord means to you. And you recommend the Savior. And some people don't want you to do that. Now if you want to cuss, it's all right. If you want to tell a dirty joke, it's all right. We'll listen to you. If you want to slander and talk politics and dirty politics, that's all right. But don't say anything about Jesus to me. Don't say anything about the Bible to me. You know I'm telling the truth. That brings the reproach of Christ. And that's when you and I that are witnesses for the Savior bear the reproach of Christ in our zeal in Christian witnessing. But we must do that. If you're hated by the boss man, you've got to do that. If you're hated by people that you work with, you have no choice but to be a witness for the Savior. Now, I don't mean by that that you're to talk religion on the boss man's time. When you're working for another man, you give him an honest day's work. But I do mean that at your dinner hour, you can talk Jesus. And I do mean that after times, you can talk Je after hours, you can talk Jesus. I do mean that at the coffee breaks, you can talk Jesus. And you ought to, in season, out of season. It's not popular, but it ought to be done. And then last but not least, the reproach of Christ is involved in the reality of another world. Now, you and I live in this world. We pay taxes in Greenville County, but I hold dual citizenship. And I pay tithe to another kingdom. And that kingdom is to come upon this earth. It now is in heaven. And shall come upon this earth. I have a loyalty not only to Greenville and South Carolina. But I have a loyalty to another king and to another country. And to another domain. Now that's not popular in this world. When you stand up for another kingdom and another king. But that's a reality to me and you. We're looking for a city. Therefore we can't really get adjusted in Greenville. We're looking for a city that hath foundations. Whose maker and builder is God. That's not Greenville. We're looking for a city that has golden streets. Greenville doesn't have that. And mansions of ivory. 
and gates of pearl, Greenville doesn't have that. And some people hate me and you because we're looking for another city. The reproach of Christ involves the reality of another world. I'm a citizen of another world. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through, a stranger and a pilgrim looking for that city that is to come someday. The reproach of Christ. I want to believe, and I do believe, that we have multitudes in this building right now who, like Moses, would be willing to stand up and say, I'm going to esteem the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. I'm going to stand for God at any cost. God grant it, maybe so. May we bow our heads and pray. Every head bow, every eye. We thank you for listening to the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. If this sermon was a blessing to you, please share and invite others to listen and join us next time on the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast.